0: we would like to have as a friend, but that he is the one true God and he is real, objective. He's given us a real word to make himself known to us in a real way, and that's the Jesus Christ we seek to receive into our hearts today. John's gospel begins, In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And here's the center of our passage this morning. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, if there was any passage in Scripture to clearly consolidate the gospel, this is one of them. This is the point where John begins by introducing his whole um, presentation of Jesus Christ manifest through the consolidation of just what this gospel is. That if anyone who has At first, maybe rejected this Jesus Christ who was in the world. And the world was made through him. And the world was made by him. And he came to his own and they did not receive him. But then he flips the angle and says, But to anyone who does receive him, that is, believe in his name, he gives them the right, the word there is the power, the power, the right, the position to be made children of God. And to be in a relationship with God that is uniquely distinct in their previous existence. And that this gospel of being reproportioned to Jesus Christ, re-related to God as a son and a daughter. This is not done by the will of what he says, the flesh, the will of the blood, the will of men. Anything down here. It's not done down here. This is done by the power of none other than God himself. That's the gospel. In, in, in the most purest form, that is it. That if you will receive Christ, receive him, you have him. Receive and believe. Connected. Receiving, believing, that's a different thing than most things we do throughout our days or weeks. You hear what he's saying. He's saying to you, you are not to work. I wish maybe perhaps you'd like to hear more people tell you that in your life. Rest, do not do. That's the gospel. Do not do. Do not work. Do not clean. Do not perform. Do not give me anything. Do not serve. Do not sacrifice. Do not suffer. Do not study. Do not try. Do not jump. Do not run. Do not swim. Do not climb. Do nothing. Receive Him. That's the gospel. Receive him. Do not act. Be acted upon. Receive. Be passive. The word for someone who comes to a doctor to be healed is a patient. To be patient comes from the same word which means to be passive. Which also means... The way we say the word patient is to wait, to rest, to receive, to be acted upon, to receive healing, to receive attention. What a beautiful gospel. You will hear no other Lord in this world speak to you that way. No one, no one will talk to you that way. Not even your own mind or conscience the way you rule or govern your own life, you are never that gracious with yourself. You always feel like you should be doing more, better. You should be more active. You should not be content. You're not a good mother. You're not a good father. You failed here. You did that. Praise God. He speaks to you that way. To receive him if you will, that is, believe upon his name, you have life in him. So there's a reason uh, when we do Secret Santas around this time of year that people put a cap on those gifts. 25 bucks or so. Right? It's an amazing thing about Christmas is that it's all about just receiving gifts. Receive it. You didn't do anything for it. You're sitting there, and here's your gift. Now, when it's time for Secret Santa, perhaps, and you're around co-workers or people you aren't so intimately close to as intimate friends or family, the rule is, you know, you don't pass $25 or whatnot. But why? There's a reason we don't do that. Because if you go and get somebody a phone charger for $25, which would be a very nice phone charger, I think. Maybe not. Maybe that's how it's going. I don't know the phone charger market these days. Sorry. And then that person turns around and gets you a $300 smartphone. What that's called is awkward. <laughs> that's called embarrassing. Makes you on edge. You don't feel... It's actually not very fun to receive a gift like that, you see. And that's the whole gospel. You actually have to receive it. And realize you cannot pay it. You cannot proportion it. You cannot haggle it. That's why, in one respect, receiving Jesus Christ is so difficult. Because it's so one-sided. The gospel is saying, you are destined for hell. You are wicked and lightless, selfish and twisted. You have nothing good you could ever bring to him. He is light and dwells in unapproachable light and you have never lived one day in perfect light, uncorrupted by our sins and false motivations. So therefore, a gift exchange with Jesus is actually not a very pleasant encounter. As grey as it sounds on the outside. But you actually have to receive everything from him and have not one glimmer of pride, not one moment to lift your head and say, I could offer God a gift for Christmas. Receive and believe. You see, Jesus He has wrapped himself as a present to us in flesh. He has proportioned himself in such a way to come down. That is why John is beginning to say this word, this light, the life, which is God, became flesh. He came to us so that we would have him. That we would see his glory. And he goes on to say that his glory, he is the only son from the Father, full of grace And truth. That is a gift that is immense, a spiritual gift, Ephesians says, in the heavenly places, that cannot be proportioned in this life. We do not know the extent of the fullness of the grace given to us in Christ, the truth given to us in Christ. Paul, losing words, calls it spiritual blessings in the heavenly places given to us, something that does not perish or rot or destroy. One of my gifts uh, this year particularly had to do uh, with uh, my parents as a gift, is going somewhere nice and doing something and going out to eat. Because at this point, that's better. There's a certain sense, biblically, that the memories we make, why should I get them a gift that they're not going to like and keep in their closet? I did that once with a GoPro. I think he's used it twice. It was kind of expensive. See, but the memories, do you see why the promises that are given to us cannot perish? We have been given the very Logos himself, the very foundation for the logic of our memories, those things we hold so sweet and dear. Those will meet us at the judgment. Our lives will never end. The memories we make, the things we do, the words we say, that is what counts, now he has reproportioned them all. That he's offering you true life. Something this world could never take from you. But you have to receive it. And just accept it humbly. As a child receives a gift. And if you do. It will be your right to be called sons of God. You'll be considered his children. He introduces himself particularly. As the logos. the Life. That is, God's self-disclosure in creation and redemption. Word. But he also says he is light and life. That is, life, all being, everything we have is him. And light, our knowledge and our moral ability, our natural knowledge and conscience. That's his as well. To sum it up, there's a passage in Psalm 36 that says, With you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we have light. In your light, we see light. That captures Jesus Christ. People say, well, why can I not understand or comprehend God? Why won't he just show himself to me? The image is beautiful. You walk out into the day And you try to look at the sun and you cannot because it is too bright. It is the light. It is the source of light. But everything you do throughout that whole day is done in the light. You see? That's the point. From his light, we see light. We cannot see or comprehend God perfectly. But... We cannot deny him for a moment. Because everything around us, about us, is effused with his illumination, his light. In his light we see light. The light of our mind, the light of our conscience, the light of our own existence. We have to acknowledge that this is the case. Any more than any sane man could not walk out in the middle of day and say there is no sun. It's impossible. You're living in his light. See, there's a reality, though, of how John is introducing his Gospels to say, if it were just that simple, it would be over. But it's something more. It's the way we reflect the light. That's the real problem. We know certain colors reflect light better or not. It's nice we're in this worship hall, right, with the white walls. And especially now, because, praise God, we have LED lights in here. And that is awesome. So I don't know if you guys have been around long enough to remember when these lights weren't LED, which is only a few weeks ago, but if you've been around long enough to know what it was like for a few years without them, it's just not the same. It's pretty bright in here, and it's, it's actually really enjoyable, especially in the middle of winter. But that light reflecting off these white walls is illuminating. Now, the, the walls aren't producing light, there's no light in and of themselves but they're reflecting a light that actually shoots back into the room and makes the whole room brighter. The reverse is, if all these walls were black, the light would not be received well. It would would not be received by reflecting and illuminating even more light. It would be uh, absorbed and diffused, and it would actually become dark. And that's the point. That's why when Jesus comes into the world... No one cares. Not just because he wrapped himself in flesh and looked like a normal man, but because when they saw his life, heard his words, and found his manner of being, they were less than impressed because they didn't care about the light. In fact, they were wrapped up in darkness. So, we're told, and why? For the reason that John is introduced. So that Jesus may be introduced. We're told that there was a man named John. He was sent from God. And he came as a witness to the light. Which is an ironic thing, isn't it? To be a witness to light. Isn't life itself self-evident? Because we live in that light every day? Yes. But the problem is. The opposite problem of this room is that we have white walls. But if we were to see inside of our souls, at the end of Matthew, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, you are white-washed tombs full of dead men's bones. On the outside you look white, on the inside you're full of darkness. So when God's light comes into the world, it is not apprehended or conceived of by our intellect because our intellect is dark, a dark wall that absorbs and diffuses the light of God and says, I don't see any light, there's no light to see here. And so we're told that John comes as a witness to this light. Someone who is not the light, but is very, very bright. A little bit of an entry point. You know how shocking it is to go from a very, very dark cave or room and walk right out into the sun? It's just equally as blinding. What's kind of nice is if you would have a middle room in which it's really, really dark, and then there's a little bit of light, and then you go out into the bright sun, you can at least comprehend it better. That's what John's doing. John is witnessing to this light. He is bright, but not the Son of God who is light itself. We're told that this wild, untamed man lived in the wilderness for many years. John was a devoted man. Jesus says that there was no one like him in his era, his epoch. In Matthew 11, he says, Among them born of women, no one has arisen greater than John. He actually summarizes John's ministry in John 5, where he says, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to receive him for a while and be in his light. That is, John is a man had a particular purity about him so that he actually was in some way reflecting the light of Christ. He preached like no man. He drew crowds. He did great things. Words of power and baptize them in the greatest miracle of all, not healing those who are lame or opening the eyes of those who are blind. He passed them through water for repentance of sin. Now that is a miracle for a sinner to, re- to confess Jesus sinner. And John did that in drove. And so he was bringing the light that he might testify to Jesus Christ. Which goes to the point, do you see yourself that way? All this, all this imagery, analogy of light and darkness, do you see your life that way? That your whole point in life is to try to be in the realm of John, to be having words like that said about you, that you reflect the light of Christ in such a profound way that you could even be called a lamp of Christ in people's lives. Psalm 51 says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You know what it's like to walk out in the middle of a winter afternoon, right after all the snow has fallen, that it's incredibly bright, blinding bright, because that snow is so white and pure and the sun is hitting it so red hot and on. And it actually warms up the whole atmosphere because of it. See, there's a reality that if we have the purity in our hearts, like Psalm 51 promises us, that the Lord can cleanse you. He can make your soul clean. You have no hidden secrets or hidden faults. They're all washed away by his grace so that you would live in the light. And if you live that way, the promise follows that you will testify to the glory of Jesus Christ. Or Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 2. You can set your life aside to be holy, or you could also be mediocre. And I don't really know other way to say it except to summarize the verse that way. Listen to this verse. Listen to this verse as you consider yourself a vessel for God's purposes. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. I mean, I have nice china and I have plastic bowls. Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. Do you see? You can make decisions about your life. If you want to cleanse yourself from this world, you could become a vessel of gold that shines bright, is useful for God's work in this world. If you want to be mild in your sanctification, in your holiness, you don't really want to fall on your knees and read the word of God and pray over it and meditate on it and ask the Holy Spirit to work upon you, then the Holy Spirit will not work upon you you have not because you ask not James says but if you want that you could become very honorable very bright a vessel of gold or silver perhaps and God could do remarkable things with your life to the world's eyes it might not seem remarkable but to God it would be earlier this week I had a conversation with a friend and she told me for many years that she worked in one place uh, consistently for a long time And it opened up an opportunity for her in her life to have an influence, and she didn't even have a social media account, believe it or not. What happened was, for so many years, as it goes anywhere you work with anybody who's the son of Adam, there's a lot of bickering and complaining and slander and gossip and cursing and anger and jealousy, and she just worked there for years, during the break room, After the shift or after the hours. And a young woman watched her year after year. And after her quiet kindness and generosity and grace that exuded from her life, rather reflected from her life year after year, she said, This one young woman pulled her aside and said nothing more than, I need you to know something. I've been watching you, you're different and I've been going to church and I'm a Christian now and no news report picked it up you didn't know until I told you today but you have to understand there's nothing better than that you could be a vessel that reflects the light of Christ in such a way you look like gold or silver to this world The problem in John's gospel is he lays out a string of lights, almost like the lights you'd put upon a Christmas tree connected one to another. His gospel has seven of them, seven witnesses to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is a witness, the works of Jesus Christ are a witness. The scriptures are a witness. The disciples are a witness. The spirit is a witness. The father is a witness. Jesus Christ is a witness to himself. All throughout the gospel, these seven witnesses, John has structured his whole gospel to say that Jesus Christ is the truth. Everything else is pointing him to the truth and people still reject him as the truth. John bore witness, we just read. In John 5, we're told that Jesus' own works bore bore witness. He says... The works the Father has given me to do, these very works witness about me, pay attention to me. I'm someone special. The scriptures bear witness. In John 539, Jesus says, the scriptures, you think you read them so that you would have eternal life, but you do not know these scriptures bear witness of me, that you might have eternal life, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. The disciples bear witness. In John 19, John himself says, I saw Jesus on the cross offering his life for you. This is my witness and it is true. I saw it with my own eyes. The very spirit of God bears witness to Jesus Christ. It says in John 15, 26, that Jesus himself will send the helper. He will be from the Father. He will be called the spirit of truth and he will also bear witness about Christ. And, of course, Jesus gets in an argument with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they say, how do we know who you are? And in John five thirty-seven, he says, well, the Father bears witness about me. And then they say, yes, but where's the Father? Well, it's still a witness, even though you can't hear it, see it, or smell it. He says in John five thirty-seven, the Father who sent me, he also bore witness of me, but you have not heard his voice. The very last week of Jesus' life, he simply bears witness of himself. Before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who's to execute him to death, he said, now what do you say about yourself, that you're a king? And Jesus said, well, so you say I am. For this reason, I was born, to testify to the truth. That all would bear witness to the truth and hear my words. And the climax of John's gospel was nothing more than Pilate saying, what is truth? And he dismisses the whole thing. The whole thing. He had truth staring at him in the face. And he said, whatever. I'm not into philosophy. Why? Why does it seem like it's not working? As God bears witness to his own truth. John's explaining at the beginning of the gospel, this is why you're going to read my gospel and you're going to be frustrated why no one is seeing Jesus Christ the way he is because he was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. Titus 1.15 says to the pure all things are pure but to the defiled unbelieving nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. What is truth? You can't find truth. That's the problem. Even when truth is right in front of his face he can't see it, comprehend it, or even has a desire to investigate it. That's the problem of the gospel. That the one who made all came to all who made and he was rejected and not received. In a few weeks maybe global warming's pretty rough now. We will have a big snowfall. And when that day happens please remember this. Remember this illustration. Someday It's all going to come down. We'll get a few inches. It will cover everything. And that's the only time of the year where I like winter. And after that, we all know it's downhill and we're spring. But that day is beautiful. People speak of this thing called the albedo effect. It's when all the sun reflects upon that snow. And what it does is it uh, heats up the whole atmosphere and actually produces more light into the sky than the sun itself does. So you know what it's like. You almost feel like a child just for a minute. And the world just seems amazing. You wake up, snowed all night. You open the door and look out of your house. And The road is gone. The mailbox is covered. Cars, the electrical wire, the fences, your deck or porch, there is no grass. Everything is white and crystal white. Snow, fresh, dropped from heaven. Never been touched by a human soul. And when you look around, You cannot help but see light everywhere. That's the landscape of how our souls should be. But we have fallen into February. And we know that that day, even those hours, only last for a while. And what happens is that snow begins to melt. It's gray and slushy. The road is salty and ashen. The ground now is exposed and wet and soggy and muddy. And there's that grass with the weeds everywhere. You see. And the most important thing that happens of it all, that loses all of its appeal and beauty, is there's no more light. Because the snow is not white anymore. Perfect white. And it doesn't reflect the light of the heavens. And that is why we say, where is God? Where is he? Where is Christ? Is he the truth? What is truth? Our souls are dark and corrupted and ashen. Like a cold winter afternoon. with nothing and not a bird in the sky where they all flew away. For the winter. Do you see? That's why John says, particularly, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people have loved darkness rather than light because their works are evil. The purity of the snow has melted. Their soul cannot reflect that light and therefore they do not see light. Jesus says it this way. Immanuel Kant thought this was one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Immanuel Kant was probably one of the most profound philosophers in human history. So, put it that way. If anyone's will, Jesus says, is to do God's will, He will know whether my teaching is from God. That is what Jesus said. If your will is to know God's will, you will know me. Why does no one know Jesus? No one wills the light. We look for the light, we look for truth. Like a criminal looks for a cop. We don't want it. And we will not have it. So, then there's the end of the gospel. Obviously not. This is John's introduction to explain why he's even writing these things. Because he's saying, you must be born again. The only solution, the only way forward, is that you cannot be born of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, because the will of man is to not do God's will, therefore you cannot receive Christ. You must be born by the will of God. That is, born again in John 3 means anathothen, born from above. Like a fresh dew of snow that's never been touched or corrupted by men. You must be born again. He must reposition the landscape of your soul so that the light of the gospel can land on something that is pure and white. And in his light, you will then see light. And you will receive him. And if you receive him, you will believe in him. And if you will believe in him, you will be called children of God. Born not of anything. By our own corrupt wills in this world but reproportioned to receive the light of God dear father lord we pray that you will have us be born from above lord that we will not wait until we are better heavy laden and lost and ruined by the fall if we tarry till we're better we'll never come at all Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Give our hearts purity so that we will walk in your light, receive your light, and call upon your name. In Jesus' name we pray, that name by which we are made sons of God. Amen.